Happy Sabbath, everybody. All right, we're not sleeping yet. Must be lots of fresh air in here. We can always open a window. I found out that there's a theme for the month of April here in South Church, and that theme is new life. And when I found this out, I went, oh, what am I going to do? I've been preparing for this sermon for almost two months. I thought, Lord, I, I, can't, I can't put this sermon aside and, and start with a new whole concept and, and be prepared in a week. What am I going to do? You know, ask my wife. I was stressed. I said, I can't change. What's going to happen? And so we went to bed that night, and, and I just kind of forgot about it, and I thought, well, well, we'll see what happens in the morning. So I got up the next morning, and I went to study my Bible, and opened up my Bible to Romans chapter 6, which is where I'd left off from the day before. And uh, I have the E.G. White Study Bible, and there's always headings for each chapter. And uh, the heading for chapter 6 in Romans was, Death to Sin, Resurrection to Newness of Life. And I went, whoa, maybe the Lord's trying to tell me something. You know, this can't be a coincidence, you know, that... The Lord's telling me I have to preach about newness of life. And so I thought, well, maybe I better start reading this chapter 6 with a little bit more detail to get a better idea of what I should be talking about today. And as I was reading through Romans chapter 6, it begins by talking about baptism, which we know is where we, most of us begin our newness of life as a Christian. And it goes on to talk about walking in newness of life after we're baptized. Does anybody remember when they're baptized? How come only a few hands go up? We forget. You know, at that time, for those of you that can remember, were you on fire for the Lord? Yes. Praise the Lord. You know, I know I was. I was baptized in December of 1995 after a Leo Scriven seminar. And I had a zeal for truth. I wanted to study. I wanted to learn. I wanted to become closer to God. I just couldn't get enough of the Lord. I wanted more truth. And I would go around and I'd thump people on the head and try and teach them that new truth. And it didn't get me anywhere. Has that ever happened to anybody? Yeah. Okay, so I'm not the only peculiar one. You know, because I, I was so full of fire, but the zeal just wasn't quite in the direction the Lord wanted it to go. But you know, as the years went by, I started to lose some of that zeal. And I started to become lukewarm. In fact, I became lukewarm for years. And I praise the Lord that I can't say decades, but it was years, because I've only been in the church since 1995, so I can't say decades yet. But, you know, I realized that, that I was losing that relationship with the Lord that I had when I first was baptized. And as I was thinking about today's sermon, I continued reading in, in Romans, and I'm thinking, Lord, you know, I'm not going to talk about baptism. What's the deal here? And I started thinking, Hmm, what is newness of life for people who have been baptized a long time ago? And as I thought about that, I thought newness of life would have to be defined as revival. Is there any agreement in that? You know, do we need to be revived? Do we need to come to that zeal that we had when we were first baptized? And as I was reading this, I thought, okay, revival, yep, we need revival. And I continued reading. And as I was reading Romans uh, chapter 6, it went on repeating several verses, the same thing. And that was, yield your members, servants to righteousness, unto holiness. 
And I thought, wow, yield my members, my hands, yield my members, servants to righteousness and to holiness. And then I realized that what I've been preparing for almost two months is newness of life. I just didn't know it. <laughs> because we need revival. And I'm really hoping that today's presentation, we're going to have some revival because I believe we serve a mighty God and he can revive us, can't he? Amen. So today I'm going to give an introduction to a large topic of study that has become very dear to my heart. Why hasn't Christ returned? Has anybody ever asked themselves that question? You know, I would have to think since the beginning when we're told that Christ is coming back, I think every one of God's people at some time or another have asked themselves, why hasn't the Lord returned? And I know I've asked myself that many times. But what is he waiting for us to do or become? I have to believe that we're not waiting on the Lord, that the Lord is waiting on us, because I think he's always prepared. In fact, we're told way back in 1888, he was ready to come. But we weren't ready. So what is he waiting for us to do or become? If we don't know what he's waiting for us to do or become, how can we do what we need to do to make it possible for him to come back? The judgment scene will take place in the presence of all the worlds, for in this judgment the government of God will be vindicated. We are intricately involved in the vindication of God's government. Until God's government is vindicated to the entire universe, he will not come back. But how will the government of God be vindicated? This is a key question. If we don't know how the government of God is going to be vindicated, how can we be doing the right thing to speed his return? By the restoration of the image of God in man. This is how God's government is going to be vindicated. Ever bear in mind that they, medical missionaries, are working for the restoration of the image of God in man. Have you ever thought that the Lord might have given us an order, a procedure of how we are to do our witnessing so that we can bring more lost souls into the kingdom? Because as disciples of Christ, isn't that what our mission here on earth is to do? Is to be missionaries for him, to bring lost souls into the kingdom of Christ? And that's what we're supposed to be here doing. But, you know, we have to look at what's the first thing the Lord told us to do. Because if we don't do the first thing, and we just jump ahead to the last thing, are we going to be successful? Probably not. His last injunction to his apostles, his representatives on earth, was to lay hands on the sick that they might recover. That's the last thing that the Lord told his disciples here on earth that we are to do when he left. Their physical health was to be first cared for, and after their health is cared for, then in order that we might be prepared for the truth to reach the minds. We know the great controversies over the battle of the, the mind, right? So if we don't do what is needed to prepare the mind for the battle, how can we gain access to the world's mind? Does that make sense? We have to do what the Lord says so that we can have the access to people's minds. What is the pioneer work of the gospel? Did we ever think that there's a, a specific pioneer work that the gospel has that we need to be doing? It's like the first thing we're supposed to do, the beginning, starting point. It, medical missionary work, is the pioneer work of the gospel. Medical missionary work is the most effective instrument by which the ground is prepared for the sowing of the seeds of truth. Now, is there anybody here who is a farmer? 
Any farmers? Probably not. Maybe, sort of. Anybody who grows gardens? Farmers, all right, from BC. We've got farmers from BC, full-time farmers. Okay, so we've got some people that can relate here. But I'm sure we all, sometime or another, have planted a seed. Now, if I was to get a big, huge bucket of seeds and go out here down to Highway 2 South and, and stand in, in the middle of the, the three lanes when there's no cars around, and I take my bucket of seeds and I start spreading them all over the highway. And I'm going to keep walking all the way down to Fort McLeod. And I'm going to keep spreading my seeds. I'm putting these seeds everywhere because I'm spreading the seeds of the gospel. How many seeds are going to germinate? Well, actually, we're fortunate because we live in a place called Alberta. And we get what's called frost heaves here. And frost heaves is when the pavement breaks open and the dirt's exposed and the seeds fall in the cracks. And praise the Lord, we get a little bit of seeds growing that we're spreading around. But is this the most effective way? You know, I've put out millions of seeds, but only the ones that hit those few little cracks here and there where there's a little bit of dirt exposed from the frost heave, that's the only place where I'm going to get the germination of the seeds to grow. And yet here in North America, what do most of us do when it comes to spreading the seeds? I know myself, I think of all the evangelism seminars that I've been to. I can think of one that happened here in Calgary that it is written where I was told we spent over a million dollars for one evangelism series. And if you take out the children at Chinook Winds who are going to be baptized anyway, and you take out the people who are already attending church that hadn't been baptized that were going to be baptized anyway, I was told we baptized a handful of people for over a million dollars. Okay, praise the Lord for those baptisms. But is that the most effective way for spreading the truth? Is that the commission that the Lord gave us? Keep the health reform to the front is the message I'm given to bear. How does the world view SDAs? If we were to go out and, and walk down the street and ask people, what is a Seventh-day Adventist? What would we hear? Would we hear, would they, would they say anything? Never heard of them? They might say, well, you know, they, they go to church on Saturday. Or, or maybe they eat a little bit differently. Or maybe they dress a little bit differently. But let, let's focus it down a little bit more. How do Seventh-day Adventists view Seventh-day Adventists? Let's just think about that for a minute. You know, think about it. If you had to define how you view yourselves as a corporate entity, what would that be? And then we have to think, how are we supposed to be represented to the world? Seventh-day Adventists are to be represented to the world by the advanced principles of health reform which God has given us. Now, it's sad that when I go into the world, I know the world doesn't see me as an Adventist as knowing me by my advanced principles of health reform that God has given us. But you know what's even worse? Is Adventists don't even see themselves as that. If we as Adventists don't see ourselves corporately as having advanced principles of health reform which God has given us, how can the world possibly know that? And that's how we're told the world is supposed to know us. When will we be the light of the world? When we take the lead in self-denial, self-sacrifice, and temperance. Christians will take the lead in self-denial, self-sacrifice, and in temperance. Then they will be the light of the world. Doing medical missionary gospel work is living self-denial, self-sacrifice, and temperance. What is the right hand? As you study through 
spirit of prophecy, you'll find that Mrs. White gives us many, many, many definitions of the right hand. And I think it's important to cover them because we'll start to realize that the right hand covers many facets of the work that the Lord has for us. Specifically, the right hand is medical missionary work, is the right hand of the gospel. But it's also called the helping hand in the arm. It's called health reform. It's called true temperance in eating, drinking, and dressing. It's called the right hand in the arm. It's called gospel medical missionary work. It's called medical ministry. And it's also referred to as the right arm. Now, there are, there's maybe a few other obscure ones, but these are the main ones that she uses over and over and over again to all refer to the same thing, being the right hand, as being the medical missionary work, which is the right hand of the gospel. What relationship is the third angel's message to have with medical missionary work? Now, I'm sure that most Adventists didn't even realize there's supposed to be a relationship between the third angel's message and medical missionary work. And yet, we're distinctly told many times through Spirit of Prophecy that there's a very strong relationship between medical missionary work and the third angel's message. As the right arm is to the body, so is the medical missionary work to the third angel's message. A body without hands is useless. In giving honor to the body, honor must also be given to the helping hands, which are agencies of such importance that without them, the body can do nothing. Therefore, the body which treats indifferently the right hand, refusing its aid, is able to accomplish nothing. Nimrod, can I get your help here for a second? In, in your work, do you use your, your arms? Yes. Okay, can I have your, your right arm? Can I take it? No. If I took your right arm, would you have to change professions? Maybe. Well, okay, I'll let you keep your arm. What if I just take your right hand? Can I have your, just your right hand? Can I take your right hand? I will not give it. You won't give it. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Thank you. If his hand and arm are so important that he can't do his work to support his family, if we don't use the right hands and the left hands and the arms that the Lord has given us to do medical missionary work, we're told here that we can't present the third angel's message. Let's open up our Bibles here for a moment to Revelation chapter 14. Okay, we're going to read Revelation chapter 14, verses 9 and 10, which is the third angel's message. Revelation chapter 14, verses 9 and 10. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. But, you know, I think of us as Adventists, you know, we all know we're supposed to preach the third angel's message, which is what we just read. Are we commissioned to give the third angel's message to the world? I believe we are, aren't we? And so here we're told that in order to give the third angel's message, we have to be doing medical missionary work. If we're not doing the medical missionary work, how effective are we at proclaiming the third angel's message? When we're told here that a body without hands is useless and that we can do nothing without these hands being the medical missionary hands. 
Isn't that powerful? You know, the Lord didn't give this to me until just a few days ago. And I said, Lord, you know, we all know we're supposed to preach the third angel's message, but this is heavy, you know. We can't do your work without medical missionary work to proclaim the third angel's message. Wow. The union of the third angel's message with medical missionary gospel work. The medical missionary work is to be connected with the third angel's message as the hand is connected with the body. They're not to be separated. If the work of the third angel's message is carried on in the right lines, the ministry will not be given an inferior place, and nor will the poor and the sick be neglected. We have to do both. In his word, God has united that these two lines of work, and no man should divorce them. But I think we as Adventists, corporately, we've divorced these two. The union of the medical missionary work with the gospel. The medical missionary work is not to be carried forward as something apart from the work of the gospel ministry. The Lord's people are to be one. There is to be no separation in his work. We're not supposed to be this saint going over here and doing that, and this saint over here going over here and doing that. We're supposed to be working together in unity in this gospel medical missionary work. In one hand, we're supposed to carry the gospel for the relief of the sin-burdened soul, and in the other hand, we're supposed to carry the remedies for the relief of physical suffering. Thus, we can be true medical missionaries for the Lord. There is to be no division between the ministry and the medical work. He, our Lord, sent out 12 apostles and afterwards 70 to preach the word to the people. And he gave them power to heal the sick, cast out devils in his name. The two lines of work must not be separated. Physical healing is bound up in the gospel commission. No line is to be drawn between the genuine medical missionary work and the gospel ministry. These two must blend together. They are not to stand apart as separate lines of work. They are to be joined in an inseparable union, even as the hand is joined to the body. I can't take Nimrod's hand away from his body. It's joined permanently. That's how we're supposed to be doing the Lord's work. If the medical missionary work is carried on as part of the gospel, worldlings will see that the good is being done and they will be convicted of its genuineness and will give it their support. And I read that and I thought, wow! That means when people in the world who are not Adventists see us doing medical missionary work, they're going to be convicted that it's genuine and they're going to support it. Now, I know corporately that we do not support medical missionary work because we're told that medical missionaries are supposed to be on the same playing field as a pastor. And yet we have people that want to be medical missionaries that get zero support. The church doesn't support them. The conference doesn't support them. It's totally separate, and yet we're told here that the world would support it. And we're not supporting ourselves. I think that's pretty sad. What is the gospel in illustration? Medical missionary work. The medical missionary work is the gospel in illustration. How do you practice the gospel? Are there any doctors here today? Any doctors in the congregation? No doctors? I see a doctor. Hello, doctor. What do you do when you go to work to be a doctor? What's it called? You, you practice medicine, right? Is that what you do? You, you go to work and you practice medicine. 
So I think it's important that we learn how to practice the gospel, isn't it? If we don't know how to practice the gospel, are we just going to keep going in circles and, and get nowhere? Medical missionary work is how we practice the gospel. Medical missionary work brings to humanity the gospel of release from suffering. It is the pioneer work of the gospel. It is the gospel practiced. The compassion of Christ revealed. Then will the work of the ministry be after the Lord's order. Remember we talked about the order? God has an order of things. The sick will be healed. The poor, suffering humanity will be blessed. How is the gospel worked out? There's an action to be done. We've got to work it out. Medical missionary work is how we work out the gospel. The Lord's work is the gospel worked out in medical missionary lines. In justice, mercy, and love of God, which is the sure fruit born because the tree is good. We know what the Lord says he does with the trees that don't produce the good fruit. He uproots them. We need to produce the good fruit, which he says is medical missionary work. What line of work is the truth supposed to shine the brightest in? If the Lord has told there's one specific line of work that's supposed to shine brighter than any other work, isn't that the work we should be doing the most of? More than any other work? Medical missionary work. In no other line of work is the truth to shine more brightly than the medical missionary work. Every true medical missionary has a remedy for the sin-sick soul as well as the diseased body. As he uses the simple remedies which God has provided for the cure of physical suffering, he is to speak of Christ's power to heal the maladies of the soul. So we go in, meet them where they are at, just like Christ did all through the New Testament. He meets them with their physical needs, and then that opens up their hearts to having their soul healed. What is the best way to reveal Christ? Does anybody want to know the best way to reveal Christ? <laughs> We're catching on. Medical missionary work is the best way to reveal Christ. There is a great work to be done. Not a little work, a great work. How shall we reveal Christ? I know of no better way than to take hold of the medical missionary work in connection with the ministry. How does God reach hearts? Does God have to reach hearts? We're lost. If he can't reach a heart, they're going to be a lost soul. Medical missionary work is how God reaches hearts. God reaches hearts through the relief of physical suffering. How does the Lord purify his people? I know I need to be purified. Does anybody else need to be purified? Amen. Medical missionary work is how the Lord purifies us here in this room today, in God's house. We have been given the work of advancing health reform. It will go forward. We can choose to participate or not, but God says it will go forward. For it is the Lord's means of lessening the suffering in the world and purifying his people. That's you and me. What should an evangelist also be? Medical missionary. How many evangelists do you know who are medical missionaries? I wish I could say all of them, but I can't. We are instructed in the Word of God that an evangelist is a teacher. He should also be a medical missionary. What is the most honorable and noble work God's people can engage in? Do you want to engage in the most honorable and noble work the Lord has given us? Medical missionary work. The workers are to labor for the establishment and support of the work of God in accordance with his appointment and the spread of the principles of true temperance in eating, drinking, and dressing. 
to impart knowledge of this character and of the saving grace and mercy of God is the most honorable, noble work in which Seventh-day Adventists can engage in. How do we fulfill our baptismal vows? You know, I can honestly say that after I was baptized and I, and I first went through those vows, you know, I, I read them a few times in the beginning, but I haven't read them since. And yet, we're told here that we actually need to fulfill those vows that we made when we were baptized. Are we fulfilling our baptismal vows? This is how we fulfill our baptismal vows. And you go, well, they didn't tell us that. You're right. The pastor, the evangelist, he didn't tell you that. You know why? Because the person that taught him in school didn't tell him. And it goes on and on and on for many generations. But that doesn't excuse us from having to fulfill our baptismal vows. Our churches, large and small, are not to be treated in such a way that they will be helplessly dependent upon ministerial aid. And that kind of talks about what I just was saying. You know, if we just keep relying on what we hear from the pastor and what we hear from the pulpit, we're going to be lost people, a lot of us. Because we need to be in the Word of God studying for ourselves. Because if we can't, when, when my judgment name comes up, I can't say, well, it's because of Pastor so-and-so. You know, it's his fault. I can't do that. It's a personal issue of salvation. The members are to be so established in the faith that they will have an intelligent knowledge of medical missionary work. Faithfully, they are to fulfill the vows they made at their baptism. The vow that they will practice the lessons taught in the life of Christ. His divinity clothed with humanity followed in his medical missionary work. This is how we fulfill our baptismal vows. How do we fulfill the word Words of the Lord's Prayer, Thy Kingdom Come. When I thought about that, I thought, you know, I've read that prayer many times. I've prayed that prayer many times. In fact, I went to school in a day when we had to pray the Lord's Prayer every morning before class started. I guess I'm dating myself here a little bit. But, you know, when I, when I think about Thy Kingdom Come, personally, I think of, Lord, I'm praying. Come and take us home. That was my interpretation of Thy Kingdom Come. Does anybody else have that interpretation when you pray, thy kingdom come? Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of the sin-filled world. I'm tired of all the grief, the pain, the suffering. Lord, I want to go home. Thy kingdom come. But here we're told, thy kingdom come is an action that we have to fulfill. Had you ever thought of that? I know I hadn't. Medical missionary work is the fulfilling of thy kingdom come in that prayer that we so often pray. Following his example in our medical missionary work, we shall reveal to the world that our credentials are from above, and that as representatives of the kingdom of heaven, we are fulfilling the words of the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come. What is the proclamation of the gospel? Myself, and I'm sure most Adventists would think of pro proclamation of the gospel as being, doing things like evangelism. We're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how we proclaim the gospel. We know the answer, don't we? Medical missionary work. The medical missionary work given us to do means something to every one of us. It is a work of soul saving. It is the proclamation of the gospel message. How do we do the will of the Lord? Do we need to know how to do God's will? If we don't know how to do, how to do God's will, how much longer is he going to have to wait for us to get our act together? We have to be able to do the Lord's will. And it is medical missionary work. This is doing the Lord's will. 
Just like the Father gave the Son the work when he came here to earth, we've been given the same work to do. Our work is clearly defined. As the Father sent his only begotten Son into our world, even so Christ sends us. We're his disciples as medical missionary workers. In fulfilling this high and holy mission, we are to do the will of God. What is the only way that prejudice that exists in the world against our faith can be broken down? Has anybody ever experienced prejudice against Adventism? Okay. Is it important then to know how we're going to break down that prejudice? Medical missionary work. When I heard that Dr. Kellogg had taken up the medical missionary work, so obviously in the beginning he was just a doctor, but he made a commitment he's going to choose to make a decision and do medical missionary work, Mrs. White says, I encouraged him with heart and soul because I knew the only by this work can the prejudice which exists in the world against our faith be broken down. How do you overcome prejudice and gain access to the minds? We talked about this earlier. We have to know how to gain access to the mind because that's where the great controversy is happening. Medical missionary work is how we overcome prejudice and gain access to people's minds. As a means of overcoming prejudice and gaining access to minds, medical missionary work must be done. Not in one or two places, but in many places where truth has not yet been proclaimed. And we know the proclamation of the truth is medical missionary work. When Mrs. White was in Australia, they had a serious problem with prejudice. And she said, seeing that we understood something of disease, the people brought us their sick and we cared for them, and thus we entirely broke down the prejudice in that place. This is how she did the work to break down the prejudice that existed in Australia. What has a most glorious mission to fulfill? Medical missionary work. The medical missionary work is of divine origin and has a most glorious mission to fulfill. In all its bearing, it is to be in conformity with Christ's work. Those who are workers together with God will just as surely represent the character of Christ as Christ represented the character of his Father while he was in the world. True medical missionary work is of heavenly origin. This is what Christ came to do. Medical missionary work is a sacred thing of God's own devising. When the suffering body has been relieved, the heart is opened and we can pour in the heavenly balm. This is how it's done. What work is the door through which the truth is to find entrance to many homes in the cities? You know, we talked earlier about these big evangelism meetings we have, and they just don't seem to be working to the degree that we would like them to be working. But we are told there's a door that opens, and it's through medical missionary work. The medical missionary work is a door through which the truth is to find entrance to many homes in the cities. I wish to tell you that soon there'll be no work done in ministerial lines but medical missionary work. 1901. If soon was over a hundred years ago, where are we today? If in 1901 the prophet of the Lord was told from the Lord that soon the only work to be done is medical missionary work, 
and it's 100 years later now, are we going to be ready when that's the only thing that can be done? I believe this is going to happen in our lifetime for those that are here in this, in this church today. So if we're not doing what it takes to learn this, we're not going to be part of doing this final work because we don't know how to do it. Time is short. Does anybody need some R&R? I need some R&R. Some revival review. This was just an introduction to medical missionary work. It's a very big subject. If the workers will humble their hearts before God, the blessings will come. They will all the while be receiving fresh new ideas, and there will be a wonderful revival of gospel medical missionary work. This is the revival that we as Adventists are supposed to be having. We are living in the time of the judgment since 1844. God's government will be vindicated through his medical missionary work. The third angel's message is proclaimed by doing medical missionary work. Medical missionary work is the door to the heart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where do we go from here? You know, I would like nothing better than to go through a complete series of medical missionary work with everybody here, but perhaps at another time. Maybe in the future, because, you know, our time is running short. But we've been given some wonderful counsel on Christ's work and his commission. On the Bible and medical missionary work. Do you know that the Bible's, all the way through the Bible, talks about doing medical missionary work. There's a spirit of prophecy and huge amount of information on medical missionary work. Why is the gospel and medical missionary work not currently joined? I think this is something we need to study, because if it's not currently joined, chances are people aren't going to know about it, and they're not going to know how to join it together. Where do we start as individuals, as families, as churches, so that we can have the medical missionary revival the Lord wants us to have, so we can finish the work? What do we need to learn? God's methods of medical missionary work. How everyone can practice in medical missionary work so we can go home. And this is my prayer. We all need to learn what we need from the Lord so that we can do this work that he's commissioned us to do because if we don't do this, we're not going to be ready to go home. And I don't know about you, but I'm ready to go home. I'm tired of this world. Do we all want to go home? Yes. 